1: My mom gave me a book about astronauts when I was a kid. Really, I think she really hoped I was going to be one. We had, we drank Tang, but like, I've remained pretty firmly earthbound.
0: Laura Grego is a former astrophysicist who's now a fellow at the Laboratory for Nuclear Science and Engineering at MIT. Laura doesn't go into space. What she does is study how humans use, and in some cases, abuse space. She tries to figure out what sorts of policies will preserve space as a safe place for all Earthlings to share. We called Laura up because right now there's some pretty worrisome stuff happening in space.
1: So this week we saw that the International Space Station had what is called a conjunction event, meaning it was in danger of getting hit by space debris, so the astronauts had to go shelter. And as it turns out, that debris was traceable to the breakup of a specific satellite which is an old Russian satellite. As we learned more, we found out that Russia had actually destroyed that satellite on purpose in a test of a destructive weapon.
0: The ISS astronauts seem to be fine and are no longer in any danger. But when I saw this news about Russia shooting down its own defunct surveillance satellite, it reminded me of a similar, more tragic space story, a fictitious one. Did you happen to see the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney? Because I thought I remember this, yeah. I went back and checked, and it is exactly the same scenario. It's Russians shooting down a spy satellite that breaks up and endangers astronauts.
1: Right, so that was a dramatization, and there is, of course, you know, some physics quibbles with it, but that's basically what happens.
0: Houston update? Well, we have a full-on chain reaction. It's been confirmed that it's the unintentional side effect of the Russians striking one of their own satellites. They shut down their own satellite. Right at disposal. Most likely a spy sat gone bad. Now shrapnel. In the film, which is from 2013, the satellite debris, spoiler alert here, it destroys George Clooney and Sandra Bullock's spaceship, which was, of course, the concern with the International Space Station. It circled around in its orbit of Earth every 90 minutes and tried to avoid this big field of space junk again and again. But that's not the only concern.
1: The other thing that a movie like Gravity can illustrate is the fact that it isn't just breaking up those pieces and now you have thousands of things that might hit you. Those thousands of things might hit another big satellite that's there and that'll create another satellite breakup. And those pieces might potentially break up another one.
0: Debris chain reaction is out of control and rapidly expanding. Multiple satellites are down and they keep on falling to find multiple satellites. Most of them are gone. Telecommunication systems are dead. Expect a communication blackout at any moment. Kowalski visual of debris at nine o'clock. Half of North America just lost their Facebook. When it comes to this week's space drama, the one in the real world, not in the movies, Laura says there are a couple of things to worry about in addition to the safety of astronauts. First, this was at its heart a military demonstration by Russia. If it can shoot down its own satellites, it can shoot down everyone else's. Not to make too much of it, but there's an implicit threat there. And second, the result of this satellite breaking apart is 1,500 big pieces of space junk, and hundreds of thousands more tiny pieces of space junk. Even if they don't hit the ISS, they'll still be floating around up there for a long time, potentially causing all kinds of problems, both for space travel and for communications down here on Earth. And the thing is, there was already a lot of human-made space junk up there. 9,600 tons of it, and counting. Space is becoming a mess.
1: There has been an enormous effort over the last decades in recognition of this problem of space debris. Because it doesn't just come from destroying satellites. It comes from, you know, something breaks off, you the bolt comes loose and flies away, or... An astronaut drops a glove while he or she is out doing a spacewalk, and then you have somebody who intentionally creates an enormous amount of debris.
0: It's really problematic. This week on the show, is space becoming a battlefield and a garbage landfill at the same time? And how can we avoid bringing our conflicts from Earth up there and stop ourselves from making the same mistakes all over again, only in zero gravity this time? I'm Seth Stevenson, in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us.
1: Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024.
0: Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Sometimes space gets portrayed as a lonely, empty kind of place. But the parts of space that are close to Earth are full of man-made stuff, zipping around and performing all sorts of important work for us.
1: Here's the thing, there are lots of satellites that are scientific and civilian. There's the space station, there's NASA satellites, and a lot of people think that's mostly what happens up in space. And of course, there's also other kinds of satellites that provide communications, satellite radio, broadband, GPS signals. So there's all these things in space which make our lives easier, more prosperous, etc. But space is also important to militaries and especially to the United States military, which sends soldiers and equipment and things all over the world and needs to be able to communicate with them. So that provides the backbone for U.S. military
0: functioning. So when Russia destroys this satellite, is it sort of a warning that to the United States or other countries that if we want to, we could knock your satellites out of the sky and shut down your communications?
1: Yeah. So when you're thinking about space weapons and anti-satellite weapons, it's almost always targeting the kinds of satellites which support war making on the ground. Navigation, communications, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance. And it's generally not stuff in space that's going to come raining down on you. Russia is certainly capable of this technologically, but but demonstrating it is different when you see it, when, when they've done it. They wanted to send a clear signal that they could actually do this and that they've developed the systems that can do this and they were prepared to test it. So they're saying we can target your satellites. They don't have safe harbor.
0: How do you shoot down a satellite? Is it hard to do?
1: It is. It's pretty challenging. It takes a lot of technical finesse, which is maybe one or the other motivations for demonstrating this because it shows you've mastered a pretty challenging technology so what you do is you launch um, we'll call it some we'll call it a kill vehicle it's the little weapon um, on a missile from the ground and it sends it sort of straight up towards where you think the satellite is going to be and it releases a little, Something that can maneuver itself in a high-speed collision with that satellite. And those satellites are going really fast, like seven kilometers a second, 30 times the speed of a jet. It takes a lot of technical know-how to be able to maneuver in a high-speed collision like that. It's been described as hitting a bullet with a bullet.
0: Is shooting down satellites something that happens a lot? Shooting down
1: satellites is not something that happens a lot, which is wonderful Right. There has been a lot of restraint for all of our time in space and all of the difficult relationships of the Cold War and the new competitions that are happening. It's been remarkable in the restraint. So that is a great thing. In fact, for decades, there was almost a, a taboo. It was like, we, we're not doing this. This is, this is important. So in terms of big satellite destructions, there's only been a handful in the last 15
0: years. I think China did it, India did it, and and the U.S. has done it, right?
1: Yep. And now Russia. When China tested this, when it destroyed a satellite in 2007, there was a lot of public outcry, and China never did the same thing again when India tested its system, and when the United States tested its system, they were at low enough altitudes above the Earth's surface that the debris produced fell out relatively quickly, although it still does leave some stuff in there that's dangerous, which makes it all the more surprising and dismaying that Russia conducted this test against a big satellite at an altitude where the debris will persist for years.
0: Is there any reason they're doing it now?
1: So that's a great question. Of course, I have no particular insight into Russian thinking, but of course, we're in the middle of an arms race and maybe it's a slow walk or an amble, or maybe it's speeding up to a to a jog. But between the United States and Russia and China, all three countries are modernizing their nuclear arsenals to the tune of billions of dollars. And we're not talking to each other the way that we used to. Uh, arms control treaties are being left by the wayside. This is, I think, a symptom of this larger dynamic of trying to win technologically against the other countries and and, and engage in, in all sorts of techniques to not only show you have great offensive weapons, but that you can target another country's defenses.
0: We have arms control treaties here on Earth, but they don't seem to be slowing down the arms race that much. As for up in space, There's been a United Nations Outer Space Treaty in force since 1967. Among other things, it asserts that space belongs to all of humanity, and it prohibits stationing nuclear weapons in orbit or on the moon.
1: I used to be guilty of repeating things like, it's the Wild West out in space and and that there's no laws, and that's not true. There is law. Thankfully, we haven't had to apply it. We haven't had a space war yet. But I think um, any big hostilities you're going to see between the major countries will involve something happening
0: in space. These sort of conflicts over what the rules of engagement should be in space, I mean, it's been brewing for a long time. I'm thinking of the Strategic Defense Initiative, where Ronald Reagan was pushing the idea of space-based defensive weapons that could stop a nuclear first strike, right?
1: Yeah. The SDI, or Star Wars, initiative time in in Reagan's tenure was really a crescendo point in this conversation.
0: What if free people
1: could live secure in the knowledge that their security did not rest upon the threat of instant U.S. retaliation to deter a Soviet attack? The vision was that the U.S. would put missile defense interceptors or missile defense systems in space, which could stop any Soviet missile attack with nuclear weapons and it would make nuclear weapons obsolete.
0: I know this is a formidable technical task,
1: one that may not be accomplished before the end of this century. So it sounds great. When you say missile defense could make nuclear weapons obsolete, I'm all for it. Human beings cannot coexist with nuclear weapons indefinitely. But the problem with building defenses and not having an agreement about it or not thinking it through is that what it generally does is it inspires or incentivizes your adversary to just build more offensive missiles. You know, you build a little defense, they build more offense. Then I build more defense, they build more offense. And look, we're in, a, we're in an arms race.
0: There are ongoing talks in the UN about creating some new space rules. Space-faring countries like China and Russia are in favor of a new space treaty that would further limit space-based weaponry. But they seem to be at odds with the United States over the scope of new regulations.
1: From all the conversations I've had, Russia and China still are very, very concerned about the U.S. thinking about pursuing space-based missile defenses. It still animates a lot of their anxieties, their concerns. It certainly is something that's central to the to the treaty that they've advanced. It's something that would outlaw space-based, you know, missile defense interceptors.
0: I guess you could see from our adversary's perspective if we had some system that could shoot down all their nuclear missiles well we could launch a first strike with complete impunity yeah. we have we would have no concern about retribution
1: that is the concern so if you have an impenetrable defense then you are not vulnerable to retaliation and if russia or china believed that the united states believed it could conduct a first strike without risking counterattack without risking retaliation it's intolerable to have one party in this mutual assured destruction
0: no longer assured of being destroyed.
1: <laughs> right. So what does that say? What else? What, what might they do if they didn't feel vulnerable to retaliation? And so a lot of this is thinking of ways to convince a perhaps unconvinced United States that it truly is still vulnerable. All of this stuff that you're seeing, the build-up in nuclear weapons, the build-up in space weapons, all of this is part of the same conversation.
0: When we come back, National security isn't the only concern when it comes to orbital shenanigans. I want you to ask yourself are you worrying enough about space junk? Amid all this military posturing where countries are blowing up their satellites to show that they can, it seems like there's this negative externality, which is all the debris that gets created. How big a problem is all that space debris?
1: Space debris is a huge problem. The destruction of one large satellite could essentially double the amount of debris in space. And if you do it in certain types of orbits, it can persist. It could stay in space for decades or essentially forever. Keeping space working well and predictably requires everybody rowing in the same direction and not making big mistakes or doing tests like this, which might prove a political point, but which endangers everybody else's use of space. And what's interesting is this is happening at the same time as like a big expansion of commercial space activity. The launch of these Starlink satellites and other initiatives to build space-based internet service, which would help rural users and remote users have access to the internet, which has the potential to be really you know, transformative. But you can't do that. You can't invest all this money and you can't imagine that a constellation of tens of thousands of satellites can remain working well in an environment where you're also blowing up satellites.
0: You mentioned putting up a system like Starlink. Even if these things are sort of well-intended, like the satellites are going to have good uses, just the fact that we're putting more things up there means there's more potential for collisions. There was once an accidental collision between two satellites that created a lot of space junk, right?
1: Right. So we have had a pretty relatively slow-growing amount of satellites over the past decades. One of the projects I worked on in my previous job is a database of all actively orbiting satellites, and we just catalog when things go up and things come down, and they would slowly grow, maybe by... 50 to 100 satellites per year, Um, but this is completely different. Hundreds are being put up every year and we're imagining thousands in there. That's a lot of things to keep track of and to keep making sure that they don't run into each other. We don't have experience with that. We don't have the infrastructure to do what people call space traffic management, which is knowing where everything is, where it's going to be, what it might hit.
0: I read about something called Kessler syndrome, which seems to be the scenario they're hinting at in the movie Gravity, where you have this chain reaction of debris causing more debris causing more debris until it's just space is completely impassable, sort of. Like no spaceship could go through space. Is that something we should be worried about?
1: Well, okay. Kessler syndrome is very real. It's describing when you get to the point where you don't have to add any more mass into the system, any more pieces where things are going to break up, and those pieces that have been created will go on to break up other things, and those will go on to break up other things. So it's sort of like a cascade effect, and that could actually be pretty slow. Without being really deliberate about it, I don't think you're going to make space absolutely impassable. What you're going to do is make space much more hazardous and more expensive, someplace where you might put satellites, but perhaps you wouldn't put human beings.
0: If we think about space as a big ocean and we're kind of starting to pollute our own shores, are we at the early stages of another big human caused problem like plastic in the ocean or like climate change where we're creating this huge future problem or just kind of watching it happen?
1: That's part of the dynamic, right? Um, It's not exactly any one person's responsibility. It's a shared resource. And we have this enormous burst of activity that we're unprepared to regulate and monitor, which we think might be beneficial, but we don't have all of the the tools to make sure it's done safely. We need to catch up <laughs> with technology. We don't have all of the laws and strategies and approaches to work on the military parts of space, which are which have a dangerous dynamic. We also don't have all the regulations to work on the environmental aspects in this what people call space sustainability. How do you create space that you can use for generations ahead? How do we make sure that we don't pollute it? So we have a, a lot of work to do (laughs) in order to make sure that that space is, is a place that we can reap the benefits in the future.
0: Laura Grego, thanks so much. Thank you. Laura Grego is a Stanton Nuclear Security Fellow at MIT. And that is it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch and Allison Benedict. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We won't have a new episode next Friday. Happy almost Thanksgiving. But we'll be sharing one of our favorite episodes of the year. And don't worry, What Next with Mary Harris will be back in your feed on Monday. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening.